Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, thanks so much for joining us today. And I have here with me a new friend, Vincent Puglisi. Thank you so much, Vincent, for making time for the Boca Podcast listeners. Thank you so much for having me. This is an honor. Well, and, and of course, we're going to make sure to link to your website and various resources in the show notes. But I want to get started by just getting to know you a little bit, both personally and professionally. And, and how we normally start out the Boca Podcast is with something that I began to call the lesson. And very simply, this is the biggest or hardest lesson that you've learned as a business owner so far. Is there something that comes to mind there? Yeah, I never... I wanted to be an entrepreneur and then I was an employee. So my wife and I were both newspaper photographers in Indiana for a few years. And we had a moment that I'll never forget. It was probably the best lesson I've ever gotten. It came from my dad. And I essentially, I just won international sports photographer of the year for the, inter- for the picture of the year internationals. The oh, biggest wow. award that I can win. Yeah. So, I'm, so I win this award, get flown to DC to geographic for the award ceremony and kind of this big deal. We have a baby on the way. Our first son is being born in just a couple of months. And I went back to my office after everything to get my, my review, you know, my annual review. And in my office, they listed all the things that I had done and what a great year I had had. had been in Sports Illustrated and won that award and all this type of stuff. And he took his glasses off and he rubbed his eyes and he said, but we can only offer you 3% for a raise and this is with a baby coming and i was expecting and hoping for they said this is the year you're going to get a good raise yeah especially winning this award yeah and and even they had even said even with the baby first baby they always try to help you out and and they 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 said well basically everybody else got nothing but because of what you did you get three percent like that was supposed to be a good thing and (laughs) i remember just sitting there and and just stunned i felt my body temperature rise i was really angry but i didn't want to act out on it and say anything. And I got up to walk out after the conversation. I remember saying, no matter what I do, no matter how hard I work, no matter how many awards I win. And I just stopped and I walked to leave. And I remember saying to myself, it's over. Now I'd been working for this career for 10 years. And at this point I was like, I can't, I looked out in the newsroom and I saw all all of a sudden I realized I'm going to be like the rest of these people. If I don't do something Hmm. because everybody was miserable, but I never really noticed it. And I looked around and and I went home. I left. I left work for the day, and I went home to. And I called my dad, who ran his own business in New York, and I used to work for him way back. And I asked him for some work, see if I could pick up some extra work just to make some money to pay for diapers and you know, with a baby coming. Yeah. And my dad told me no. So even my dad turned me down now. Like this is like this is getting really bad. Oh yeah, it's getting deep and dark. Yeah, but the reason why, I'm 15 hours away. We live yeah. in Indiana. He's like, I'd have to retrain you. He goes, you didn't even like working here when you did work here. And which was, he a, was he a photographer as well? No, no, he's a draftsman. He's okay. got his own, you know, he works on buildings. And But I was, you know, I would do grunt work for him when I was a teenager. And I would make $10 an hour. And I literally was thinking, well, if I can make $10 an hour for him, that will pay some of the bills. Yeah, That's how, that's how I was at. And he said, no. So now I'm sitting here like, okay, my dad's not even going to hire me. Okay, this is a problem. <laughs> and he told me why. And he said, 
he goes, I've been trying to tell you this for years, but you haven't listened to me. Maybe you'll listen to me now. I was obviously pretty stubborn. And he said, um, you have a skill, but you're not using it correctly. Hmm. And this could really, re- I think, relate to everybody that's listening. And I was like, well, okay, now I'm ready to listen. What do you mean? And he said, I've been telling you for years that you can go out on the open market and you could shoot weddings, you could shoot corporate work, you could shoot commercial, you could shoot the pro sports that you want to do, but you're settling for security and benefits. And you know, at $32,000 a year, that's what I was making. Wow. And it, and it hit me right. I mean, everything hit me all at once. Yeah. And I was like, he's absolutely right. Like I, I, I've seen this, but I've avoided it. So that day... I took the phone book back when there were phone books yes. and, I, and, and I called all these different photographers to see if I could assist them doing weddings. Every one of them told me no. And I took the phone book and I threw it against the wall. I'll never forget it. And I always heard like, well, if you can't beat them, join them. And I said, well, if you can't join them, I'm going to beat them. Yes. And we, that's how we started the business that day. So it was the greatest lesson even to this day that I've learned in terms of realizing what I had that I didn't value. Well, first of all, you had a talent that you weren't valuing enough to then take the risk, right? There's, there's that, that sense of uncomfortability and unease when you're taking a step out, you don't know exactly what's going to happen. And it, and it feels a lot easier, a lot of times to, to stay in that safe zone, even if it doesn't mean financial, great financial success, you at least know what it feels like to be in that space and, and to step out of that box feels extremely uncomfortable, but you got that tough love from your dad. He pushed you, you and, and you took that opportunity to go for it. And, and now here we are, and we're going to tell more about your story here in just a bit. But I love that, that kind of jump and build your wings on the way down mentality. That's, that's one that I've taken over the years. And, and you know, the reality is at the end of the day, we do have to be intelligent, but um, it, it just takes taking that, te- that first step sometimes. And I love that example that you set for our listeners. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, I see it so often with people, the ones that are bold, get it done. And you don't have to, I think the biggest problem I notice with people doing it is, well, I don't know everything yet, or it's not perfect. And what I've had to learn, you know, all these years in business, it's never perfect. You know, right now, if you would have told me 10 years ago, this would be my life. Yeah. I would say, let me sign up right now. It's rainbows and unicorns, but I'm where I want it to be and beyond. But now I've got a whole other thing, all new things I want to do and learn and grow. So I haven't figured that out yet. I feel like a beginner in a lot of ways right now because I'm doing different things and I'm growing, but it's never going to be perfect. You constantly have to pivot. And, and for the people that are waiting for it to be perfect or like, well, what about the benefits or the security? There's never security. Even there's more security in self-employment, I believe, than in employment yeah. because like a conversation I had with a coworker, they were concerned for me in terms of when I was quitting. And they said, well, what about the security? And I said, well, I've got 29 clients right now, plus a couple of corporate gigs. That if one or two of them fire me, I'm fine. That's 5% of my income. And I'll probably replace them with a higher priced person. If one person fires you, you're done. That's 100% of your income. Wow. Like I said, yeah. who, who has more security? And they looked at me and that's the first time they ever even thought about that. <laughs> and then they got freaked out. <laughs> and they got freaked out when they were the ones thinking I was going to. I'm like, I'm not freaked out at all because every day, Every new client I work for and I yeah. do a good job for, that turns out to be another referral or a testimonial for my business. Every mm-hmm. job I do for my job, if they fired me tomorrow, that where does that go? It's gone. Wow. So that's what I work with now. So that's what's so much fun for me. 
I, I love that perspective. You know, and this conversation too reminds me of, I don't know if you heard this uh, or maybe even thought this yourself as, as a new parent, but you know, you, you hear a lot of uh, potential parents saying, well, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm not really ready to have kids yet. I, I don't feel like I've, I've yeah. got it all together financially. I don't feel like I've got it. I, I don't know how to be a parent. And the reality is just, I mean, and, and parenting is only one example in life. There's very little that we know exactly how to do it. Um, or we have just the amount of, of money to be able to support whatever it is, this thing that, that we're about to do. You just got to go for it in the end. The reality is that not only can you figure out, but you have friends, you have family there that will support you and help you along the way. Uh, it just takes going for it and taking that first step. And, um, and, and, and here you are. I mean, I, and I, again, we're going to tell your story in a little bit more detail and depth here in just a bit. You started with photography. Now you've got a little bit of a different focus and we're going to actually, that is going to be the, the focus of our conversation here in just a little bit, this notion of creating financial freedom. Um, yeah. you're telling that story and that that's where you're focusing your time right now. But before we go there, I'd love to take a step back and get to know you personally just a little bit. Uh, tell us just something kind of random that most of our listeners, even if they're familiar with your book, wouldn't know about. About you what's what's something random about you that most people don't know i was a terrible student if that helps I, I i found out i was graduating from high school the day before graduation so if there's any encouragement for people that didn't do well in school like i was one of them random thing well not random i, I am married 15 years beautiful wife elizabeth we have three boys we homeschool that's something that really takes people by surprise sometimes we just got back from a three-month trip across the country the anti-book tour. We, we launched the book and I didn't want to do it the way everybody else did it. So we basically went around to 18 different states just meeting people that we knew and thanking them. So that was that's a fun part of the beginning of this year. That's a little bit about me. There's, there's more, but... <laughs> and and we'll, we'll probably get to it here in just a little bit. Tell me a little bit, though, about um, the, the choice to homeschool. This is an interesting one, especially for entrepreneurs who are probably like, well, I've already got my hands full. The idea then of, of, of taking on the education of my kids, that's got to be it's seemingly challenging. What led to that choice? Yeah, it's a great question because it goes back to what we were just talking about before in terms of, you know, you're never quite ready. What led to the choice, my friend Ken Carfagno, a good friend of mine, they homeschool their kids and it seemed overwhelming to us. We had never even thought about it. But what would happen, like even with this book, like we created a life of, of time freedom for, for us. We created a life essentially of money freedom um, where we could do the work that we want to do every day. But what we learned was, you know, we, we got to be home. We were fortunate enough to be able to be home with our kids as they, as they grew. So now, then we had three. We have three boys. And what happened was within one semester, they got on the school bus at eight something in the morning and they got off at four, got the bus at four, and then they had homework to do. And uh, literally one day, Elizabeth and I looked at each other and we said, this wasn't what we were expecting. Like, we don't get to see them anymore. We loved being with them. And we weren't seeing Now it's just going to get worse. So we talked to our friends who homeschool and they mentioned, you know, how they get up in the morning, the kids do the work and, and then they get to do family stuff together and they get to travel. And I was like, that's the life that we wanted. So that was the missing element of freedom for us was, was school. And to be able to teach, going back to what we're talking about, being able to teach entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship, as opposed to what the school teaches in terms of essentially go get a job yeah. and work for somebody else. So I'm like, well, what are, we're doing this for ourselves, but we're not teaching our kids what we would teach other people, hmm. which was self-reliance and, you know, everything that we're doing. So within a week, we had a couple of conversations and we decided to do it. And it's been three years now. And it's been it's been a roller coaster, but it's the greatest thing I think we've ever taken on. Well, there seems to be a theme here, which is that you've you've made a very proactive decision 
um, starting with that shift in your career, but also with your kids and their education, and now what you're doing with your career as, as an author and, and, and an educator, that you've, you've chosen to take your life into your own hands versus just kind of letting it happen to you. And yeah. I think that's a really important mentality. It's one, in fact, that I've even been reminded of as of late, um, that the significance of being proactive, we can, you know, we can sit around and, and wonder and think and process and analyze and journal and even take in all kinds of education. There's so much of it these days. But at the end of the day, we don't have a choice but to do. And we have an opportunity in 2018 to take advantage of really incredible tools that are out there that enable us to be able to create the lives that we want if we're willing to take that step. And But at the end of the day, you just have to do. And, and that's really, really important. And you've exemplified that again in, in the way that you educate your kids. And I think that's really, really powerful. And thank you. I appreciate that. And the thing is, we don't, you know, we start at like you talk about, well, we don't know exactly what to do. You never know exactly what to do. Like we didn't know exactly what to do with homeschooling. At first we had a curriculum and then we kind of really loved the unschooling part of it where they study the things that they really love. Because I hated reading when I was in school because I was always told what to read. Hmm. So I would imagine if they let me read about sports, I would have been a really good reader because I would have been reading about it nonstop. Yeah, that's Um, interesting. You know, and, and so with my son, he really loves bugs, my oldest son, Andrew. So he reads three to four hours. He can, he talks to entomologists well, on our trip. We would, we would meet up with different people. I mean, seasoned adult veterans, he's having adult conversations with because he reads and studies something that he loves. My, my middle son loves building things. So he's building robots. I don't know anything about it. He's teaching me, but he gets to lead, which is what we want to teach people. We want to teach our kids. And he's getting to make the mistakes on the fly and learn from them. Yeah. And so that, that's what's fun. But we don't know what we're doing in some ways. We really don't. <laughs> we're, we're just kind of going with it and, and growing each, each day from it. Well, but that's so important, though. I, I think, you know, I, and I have kids. Uh, my son, Austin, is 16. My daughter, Addison, is 13. And I was just chatting last night at a photographer, local photographers get together about the significance of, I guess, just ultimately the experience of parenting teenagers. You, you always hear these kind of horror stories uh, or parents mm-hmm. who are, are apprehensive about the notion of having to parent teenagers. And the reality is, at the end of the day, as long as you create a baseline level of communication with your kids, you establish that. Um, they're they're pretty gracious, uh, at least I've found, and they're willing to, to accept a mistake or a mishap or two here and there. And, and as long as you maintain that humility and that open line of communication, you're able to kind of figure out the parenting along with them. And I think that the, the point that you make, which is to give them space to learn to make choices for themselves and it through that to even learn from their mistakes, that's a really important principle when it comes to parenting. And and I think it's something that we as entrepreneurs need to learn to be okay with ourselves, right? We, we know that we have to make a decision. We don't know the outcome. We have to be okay with the idea that it may not be perfect, but at that point in time, if we realize we, we didn't make the exact right decision, we can simply course correct, make an adjustment, and, and continue forward. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, and, and you need to write a book on parenting teenagers because I need to read that book because we're, we're going <laughs> um, But you're absolutely right. Everything that I've ever learned that's worthwhile came from a mistake that I made. Hmm. I don't think any, every time it's been easy for me, I don't learn very much. And, and so I don't, I'm not a huge fan of comfort. Like I, I like it for a little bit when I'm on vacation, but I really like growing. When you're on vacation, yeah. Why? Well, there's something about that tension that kind of naturally pushes us, you know. That that yeah. uh, I I welcome as well. I totally understand what you mean. And and so I think when people don't like, I think that's the whole thing. And even with our oldest son, we deal with it more than our other two. Is kind of the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. 
And we go through that right now with him hmm. where that's probably the hardest thing for him is to accept like you, it doesn't have to be perfect. You just need to keep moving. Yeah. You just need to keep trying and learning and growing. Mistakes are not bad. As long as they're not fatal, they're great. And, and that's what we've had to get. And I think the more mistakes you make and you survive, you go, it's not that big of a deal. Just go ahead. Yeah. It's the people that really struggle, the ones that do not want to make the change. And then they wind up getting all the angst and the regret and the frustration. And that's what leads to midlife crises. That's what I've seen. Yeah, the importance is the is the forward movement. You know, I, I've realized more and more in the last year or two, even the significance of, you know, first of all, just how lucky we are living in a in a first world situation where we even have the time to sit around and kind of uh, throw this idea around and process this thing and think about that. And, and we have so much time on our hands. And I think that ultimately gets in the way a lot of times of, pro- well, certainly productivity, but ultimately being able to live the life that we want. And I think we should learn to welcome that tension that pushes us to make a decision because, as you say, that will lead to a certain level of success that isn't possible unless you make that move, unless you begin to do uh, and, and, and so this is, this is really good. I love the direction this conversation is going. You mentioned your, your wife of 15 years. Congratulations, by the way. That's, that's quite an accomplishment. And your, your children as well. How do you guys like to spend free time together? That, that, that can be something that is a bit of an anomaly uh, for entrepreneurs. How do you guys like to spend it together? Yeah, we're pretty simple. Um, we love one-on-one time. We love playing games. We love to travel. That's where that trip came from. We love, I mean, just our kids, they're outdoor kids, which we're very fortunate about. They love being outside. They love digging in the dirt. You know, we built a, a my brother came out, we built a, a fort out of pallets in the backyard. Like I'm not the handiest person in the world. I'm by far, but my brother is, thank goodness. But they love that. They love being outside, playing army, like we're playing, you know, just even just board games in the house, just things that bring us together that are just real calm and simple. That, that's what we love doing together. I feel yeah. I, there's actually something that we've begun uh, myself and and my two kids have begun doing more and more um, in the last few months, and that is just simply sitting around the table playing games of poker. And oh, it's, yeah? it's it's such a or Texas Hold'em more specifically, but um, it, there's it's such a simple game that enables or, or makes room, create space for conversation while simultaneously being engaged in an activity together. And I really love it. We'll turn some music on in the background. Maybe we'll grab a snack and we'll just sit there and we'll play these games. And uh, of course, we have some friendly competition going on, but yeah. it's also there's also room there for com- for conversation uh, and connectivity that I that I really love. But it is it is the simple things that seem to be so many times the most enjoyable. How do you actually create space for those activities, though? I mean, when you talk about going on a three month trip or yeah. even just something as simple as setting time aside to play games with your kids or spend time with your wife, is there a particular technique or a tool or, or an, an approach to workflow that enables you to have some of that free time as an entrepreneur? Yeah, I think so. Like we ever since you know, I was a big Seinfeld fan. You know, I was actually fortunate to be able to photograph like the last night of Seinfeld in New York, a, a bunch of the actors together. Oh, like, always cool. been, yeah. I actually got all my equipment stolen that night. Oh, so man. That's another story. Okay. Um, but, you know, what, what we do is I, my favorite episode, one of the, my favorites is, is the opposite. It's where George Costanza, everything he does in his life is wrong. So he does the opposite and everything seems to work out. Yeah. He does the opposite. So we've always adopted that for, for years. And even now, like our kids are not very heavily involved in sports or extracurricular activities. They're just not, they, they, they don't gravitate towards it. They've, we've done it, but it seemed to be such a time suck for our entire family, especially when you have three kids where we're always at a practice 
every night's taken up with an activity yeah. that somebody else is planning yep. and we don't get to eat dinner together. So we kind of really shunned, not, not completely, but that has freed up so much time for us to be together and not them just to be in some uniform where they're never going to go. But I, I photographed pro sports for 23 years. You know, my kids aren't going pro. I hate to say it. I'm sorry. <laughs> they're just not. Yeah. You know, and so I understand the competition part of it. I understand like the growth part of it. But if it's not their thing, we're not pushing them towards it. And they kind of started slipping away from that, which I'm more than happy with. But it allows us a lot more evenings and days and not rushing around like chickens with our head cut off to the next activity. Um, so just doing that alone and not watching television, um, there's more time. And homeschooling, I mean, that is not a problem. Having time together is not an issue. It's For me, it's staying focused on them while I'm with them and not having my mind go to some business idea. That is my issue that, I will, <laughs> that I'm constantly battling and learning. But it's not the time together. We're very fortunate in that. Well, but I, I like the simple notion of minimizing busy, you know, I mean, it's, it's a, uh, it may even, there may even be some, some innate or assumed pressure that some parents have that feel like they need to kind of fill their sk- kids schedule with all these different activities. And I oh, think there's, is. yeah, there's so many opportunities for our kids to learn. My, my kids are, uh, well, my son actually is playing tennis. My, my daughter and my son are both involved in music. So I, I see the significance and I was also involved in, in those types of activities growing up as well. I see the significance of those activities for the opportunity to, to learn various life skills. Yeah. But I also see, um, even as of late, how busy life can become as a result of those activities. And, and, and then of course, there's the question of how beneficial are these in the long run or in, in the big picture, uh, and and is it worth the trade off of constantly being busy? My, it's so funny. My son uh, is a very disciplined sixteen year old. He likes to have a schedule, his workout, his reading oh, wow. time, his time to be creative, and and all of these things. And it and it kind of stresses him out when he's so busy that it doesn't have time to kind of a clear mind and to do these various things. And um, so I, I can totally see what you're saying. And, and I think it's a good reminder for all of us as entrepreneurs to make sure that we're not just simply filling the calendar for the sake of filling the calendar, that we create that space, that we keep time open for, for ourselves and certainly for those important people in our life. I think that's really, really good. Now, you, you mentioned being a photographer, a sports photographer. You've also been involved in, in wedding photography, or at least your wife uh, had a wedding photography business. Is that correct? Oh, together. Yeah. For 14 years, we've done that. And, wedding, yeah. and and as a wedding photographer, was that there in, in the Philly area or whereabouts were you photographing? Well, we're, we're in Pittsburgh, so I'm, we're on the west part of Pennsylvania. But no, we, we started in Indiana. We okay. were new photographers. That day, you know, with, with my dad, that was the day we started our wedding photography business. That was the day we went out and we got our first client for free. Um, Elizabeth went and photographed the wedding at some church just as a just said hey could i could i tag along you know we'd done a couple of weddings for the newspaper and that was our first portfolio 40 pictures that were half decent and that got us our first client and then you know we just really hustled it and the next year we had 25 weddings booked and then 39 wow and then the prices started going up and the amount of weddings started going down and we started really getting that balance. Yeah. So within that, we built the other parts of our business. So the weddings is what really freed us up to pay off all of our debt and then to quit our jobs and to really start on that life of freedom as we talk about. Yeah. And it's, it's such a big topic, a loaded topic. And we're going to get to that here in just a second. But um, how did you land specifically on wedding photography or sports photographer? That was, that's had to have been kind of an interesting transition into wedding photography. Pretty much the opposite, except for the moments. You know, we were, we never were the typical, we, we literally labeled ourselves as the anti-wedding photographers. <laughs> okay. We looked around and we saw wedding photography and we absolutely hated it. 
we hated the 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 stylized or the the everything posed or like that's not us. That's why we avoided it. Like we're journalists. Yeah. We're telling real stories. It's not perfect. It's but it's going to be real emotion and real moments and real stories. So that's why we avoided it for a few years until we, you know, so the money pushed us to like, okay, well, that's how we stumbled upon wedding photography because we're like, well, we could make as much in a day as we would make in a month. You know, we could make as much in a day as we would make in a month of the newspaper. So first part was desperation. That's how it started. You know, I think you either start from inspiration or desperation. Yeah. And ours ours was desperation. So that's how it started. So once we saw what the what the results were, and we shot the first couple of weddings and we said, wait a second, we get to do like we do with the newspaper and but in a full day with a real story with emotion and drama and you know, moments and tears, we we loved it immediately, which we didn't think we were going to. And so the 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 money benefit plus actually enjoying it just really put rocket fuel into it and we just went right after it that's really cool that you seem like a a very practical business owner type maybe not as much the artist type how how would you categorize yourself i think i was the artist type forever until that whole moment happened with my with the day of my job when i realized the artist thing i'm good at it i've done it you know like this for 10 years now but but it's not gonna it's not gonna lead us to the life that we want so i really need to start learning business so from that point on, I just went to Barnes and Noble and I started reading business books, business books and books about money and about people that actually weren't a starving artist, like every other photographer that I knew. Um, and that's what got us going. And, and it actually was kind of like we were the weird ones because, you know, you feel like like in, in our world, when you start concentrating on business and money, you're kind of almost looked at as a sellout. That's the way it was in the journalism world. Like, oh, you're going to do weddings for money. Like, it's like, no, it's not a sellout. Like, I want to feed my kid. And this isn't really doing it. So once we did that, we realized those skills are transferable to any business. So even the photography part of it, not that it faded, but I love, you know, I would do, you know, I've shot Super Bowls and World Series. I love the the excitement of the sports. So I would continue doing that. But that's one of the things I would do kind of for nothing, right? I just enjoyed it so much. But the if you want us to do a wedding or a commercial shoot, you know, we had two prices, free and expensive. <laughs> you asked me to shoot the Super Bowl, like, yeah, I don't care. I don't need to I don't need to get paid. Yeah. But if you want me to be there on Saturday in July to shoot your wedding, this is our price and and that's what it is. So we've always kind of adopted that that type of mindset. And is that is that then how you feel like business and art can kind of coexist? Because I know that there are plenty of very hardcore artist types in the photography industry who they would tell you. Hey, I'm I'm just not a business person. But the reality, yeah. as you said, is that in order to to make a living and and to go beyond that to create a life of financial freedom, you you have to be a business person. How can those coexist? And if so, is it by finding different avenues, one one outlet or a couple outlets for the art side, and then other outlets for the business side? How does that work? Absolutely, they they can. They always can coexist. It, it's a, it's a mindset thing. If you tell yourself you're not a business person, you won't be a business person. And and but I think it does coincide. Like for me, if I'll, I'll give you an example. If I needed to make a living doing professional sports photography, I wouldn't be sitting here right now because I couldn't even afford the microphone. Yeah. Right. It doesn't pay very well. But what I learned early on, especially here in Pittsburgh, I got a two page spread in Sports Illustrated of Sidney Crosby. And by accident, I, I put it to show one of our clients. I had a meeting for a wedding. And so as we're talking, they're looking at our wedding album, but underneath the wedding album was the Sports Illustrated issue. And so the dad was like, oh, what's that? I'm like, oh, I had a picture in here. Just very nonchalant, very, you know, Mr. Magoo. It's like, oh, there's, I had a picture in here. 
and he opens it up and he sees my picture. He goes, that's yours. I said, yeah. He goes, I have that picture. I put that on my wall. I'm like, you serious? No way. Yeah. So he looked at me and just like that, put his hand down. He goes, well, if you're good enough for the penguins, you're good enough for my daughter. (laughs) I love it. And at that moment I said, oh my goodness, like these things blend together. Yeah. So I I got paid maybe $300 for that shoot. Right. And I did a lot more work than any work I do at a wedding, Mm. but the back and forth and the, and maybe not as much, but equal, but that it was a loss leader for the more expensive parts of our business. So once we combined it on our website, everybody's like, oh, no, you have to have a, a wedding-only website. No, we put those together because our corporate clients and our wedding clients saw me traveling with the Steelers and Penguins and Pirates and doing it. So that built our business that no other photographer in town could offer. So we learned the business aspect of it. Like, no, that really works for us. So I, got, I, don't, I wouldn't care. I wouldn't want to say this. You know, I'm saying it to you on going broadcast but like i didn't care if i got paid for the sports Hmm. because that was leading to so much other work in other ways i love that and you're able to find find outlets for both your the the artistic and even adventurous side there through the sports and and then also understand the significance of creating a business that would not only sustain your family but ultimately give you that financial freedom and and would you say that the best route to learning how to be a business person I, I love actually I have to backtrack here for a second I love the fact that that you said it is all mentality if you decide you're not a business person you aren't uh, if you decide that you are then there is certainly opportunity to learn how to be would you say that reading is the best route what what would you recommend for those that don't feel like they're the natural business person oh it's so much better now than it was when I started it was all books you know when when 2005 which seems like 50 years ago. <laughs> right. But, the, but now, I mean, what, what I do, like, like I am involved in different mastermind groups that I pay for and ones that I run. I have a coach. I do coaching. I'm part of different membership sites where I learn. It's just, you do this podcast, what we're doing right here. Like you're doing this for free. Like people can listen to this right. and get real business advice in real time, not from 1968. <laughs> right. What people are really doing you don't need like what what in terms of what I do for work in terms of coaching this. I it's a lot of accountability hmm. and a lot of growth. But in terms of the information, there's more than enough out there for you to know to do this. It's just a matter of do you have the mindset to do it. What most people do, they get really excited about it and they fizzle out after two months. Oh, it didn't pay enough. Yeah. You know, you know, podcasting. I started a podcast. I didn't make any money. Well, you don't get it. That's not how it works. You build this stuff over time and trust and you keep going. And that's how you get over the dip, as Seth Godin would say. Yes. And but that's the type of thing where even in terms of this work, you there's always people putting out so much content to learn from. Content isn't the problem. I think motivation and delayed gratification that people don't have in this day and age to keep them going. That's what I think the big issue is. Yep. I, it reminds me of something that Gary Vaynerchuk says quite a bit, which is don't be romantic. Um, you know, there's, okay. there's this idea that, that you want to feel a certain way all the time in order to, to actually then go do something about your business, about building your business. The reality is it does take putting your head down, doing a lot of hard work and following through, being consistent with that in order to see results. And um, I think it's really important for all of us, including myself, to remember that. Would, would you consider yourself a, a gear junkie? Was there, was there a particular camera body or lens or gear accessories that you like to use as a photographer? 
I am so not a gear junkie. Okay. It makes no difference to me. It really doesn't. Everybody's like, that, that's what you always see like in the beginning photography forms. Like, so what lens did you, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter. It does matter. You know, you need a 2.8, you're going to shoot sports. You know, you want long, you know, big glass for that. But in terms of the specs of it, people get so wrapped up in that. And I think that's just fear. I think that's just an avoidance of actually creating your vision and learning. It's not about the gear. Pretty much everything you're shooting with now is better than what I shot with 10 years ago. So I was able to, you know, do all the stuff that we did 10 years ago. So everything's better now. So that's not an obstacle in terms of making this work. I would agree. I think one of my favorite lenses actually that, that I ever shot with and, and I still own one is a 51 four. Uh, mm-hmm. And it costs all of about, you know, 300, 350 bucks. Uh, there's so much that you can do with it that 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 really isn't, as you say, an obstacle to to creating good work. And, and ultimately, they are just tools. And thinking okay. about it practically in that way is is very much the the mindset of a business owner. I think that's really good. Now, it was we, really funny. It was really and it, we were we went to a friend's wedding and they had. Do you remember they would have those cameras you put on the table, you wind them up the yeah, film camera? Absolutely. Right. So Elizabeth and I, you know, we weren't as much the dancers at that point. We still kind of aren't. So what we did was nobody was taking pictures and the photographer that they had hired, we could tell he was kind of an amateur. So we took the little cameras and we would go on the dance floor and we were just shooting. This is the reception. It's really dark, you know, and and we were just shooting with those point and shoot little ones. And Michelle comes back to us like two weeks later and she goes, I knew all the pictures you guys took because those, the pictures from those cameras were better than their professional pictures. And I was like, you're <laughs> kidding. And I think it was just, you know, a light stuff, but like the composition and yeah. looking for the moments. Yeah. And those with these $12 cameras, because it's about your vision and it's about anticipation and it's about moments. It's not about just the quality of the camera. That's good. That's really, really good. Now, we've actually alluded to the fact uh, on more than one occasion now, I guess, that, that you have written a book. It's a book called Freelance to Freedom. We're going to make sure to link to it in the show notes so our listeners can go and get a copy of it. But I love the fact that you've written this book from a very real and personal experience. You're not just making this stuff up. And I'd love for you maybe to kind of to start off this conversation about creating financial freedom as entrepreneurs. Uh, with the backstory. Tell us a little bit about the position that you were in, you and your wife were in when you decided to make change in your lives. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, it was around that same time that that happened with my dad with the job. That was a real pivotal moment in my life. At the same time that that happened, we realized we were about $140,000 in debt and my wife wanted to stay home with our son. And that's when the business started. So what happened was we realized we never paid attention to our money. It didn't really matter. It was like, okay, we do work that we like doing. And, you know, everybody kind of around us was struggling with money. So it was pretty normal, which goes a lot to, you know, mistakes that we make that I'll, you know, in terms of the ant, something we'll talk about in a little bit. But what happened at that point was I realized we needed to figure out our money. And the two things that we had to do was we needed to pay off our debt to create, to create time. And we needed to invest in ourselves and our business in time and in money. So that's what we did. What we essentially did was Elizabeth left her job and we started this business. So I came up with this really crazy idea of we're going to live off of my income in the short term, but we're going to pay off all of our debt with my business money that we made. So it really gave us the incentive to grow the business because every new booking that we got knocked our, our, our debt down and our mortgage down. So what happened was by focusing intently that way, we lived off of that income for a couple of years, had another kid, 
and paid off everything, including our house, in three and a half years. Wow. From, from our photography business, which was nothing three and a half years earlier. So when we quit our jobs, it was like it was, like it was nothing. We were like, okay, we're ready. We have all these jobs coming. I wanted more time with my kids. And so we, I quit. And everybody knew it was coming. They saw the business growing. And from that point on, 2008, it's been this life of freedom that we keep growing and building. And what's crazy is, you know, a couple months later, the stock market crashed. It didn't affect us at all. We had a full year of weddings booked and we had no debt. So when everybody else was panicking, we were increasing our prices, which is really kind of weird to go through. And it's just been this progression. So we had all these people asking us, how did you do this? And for years, I just sat on it. I'm like, I don't know. You know, we just keep doing it. That's when eventually we were on vacation. We were on a month-long trip in Texas. And, and I was anxious because I was writing all these notes all the time. And Elizabeth said, she said, okay, I'm taking the kids to the beach. I want you to go to the coffee shop. I'm tired of you talking about the book. You have to start writing it. That's how it started. So a year later, it was written and, and so forth. So that was kind of the, the, the outline of, of how that started and happened. Well, and I want to kind of dig into that just a little bit. So you talked earlier about what motivates us to to make change or to act to do. One is inspiration. The other is desperation. Would you say that desperation was more the, more the motivating factor that led to all of this change that you made in your life? I think it's usually right now it's more inspiration because I always believe you have to be hungry. Like I think what, what scares me more than being broke is being bored and, and wealthy. I know that sounds crazy, but I see so many people that lose their purpose when they make enough money. That's why I never plan to retire. I always plan to be doing something and creating something and always be hungry about it because that's where life comes. That's where energy comes from for me. So, you know, you hear like these musicians talk about like, what's your favorite album or these, you know, or the athletes, what was your favorite championship? It's usually the first because the first one is where you really feel the, what, you know, you had the hunger to do it. And then it becomes almost a pressure. Hmm. Um, and I kind of always want to have that hunger. So I think it's usually comes from desperation for me, whether it's manufactured now or if it's real, but that's when I actually get stuff done. Yeah. How do you maintain that type of uh, so-called pressure? I mean, do, do, you, do you have to create a big enough goal that there's always something to work toward or do you just constantly come up with a new goal? What does that look like? It's always, it's, it's creating a new goal to work towards. Like even with our wedding photography business, I'll tell you like we're, pretty much winding it down now, almost 100%. So much other stuff has come up. But what happened for me is we did a wedding a couple of years ago and I was going through adrenal fatigue where I was tired all day and I couldn't sleep at night. It was really miserable for months. And I did this wedding where I showed up at the groom's house and I don't remember very much besides that. I don't remember shooting the pictures. I usually would drive home from a wedding and recount all the things that I shot and what worked well. I didn't have, I didn't remember it. And so I was like, man, I blew this one. We're going to get our first real complaint here. And Elizabeth processed the work and gave it to them and all that stuff. And then we get the message back from them. And, and she's like crying. She's so ecstatic how great everything turned out and how we got everything. And I was stunned. I was like, seriously. And like, I basically sleepwalked through the whole wedding. And it, it had become so routine and normal for me that I did everything that they wanted to do. And that's the moment where I was like, I'm done. Uh, there's, you know, I could always keep growing, but there's not the challenge there that there used to be. I need to grow somewhere else now. Yeah. And that basically is how is, was the beginning of the end for our wedding business. Would you say that the, I mean, I, I hear this theme of, of yet again, in kind of this intentional nature in which you, 
uh, made change in your life. There was uh, almost an apathetic existence where you you were at least semi aware of your financial state, but like you said, your friends were in a similar position. Um, mm-hmm. Suddenly, uh, the the light bulb comes on. And you go from, uh, maybe apathy is a little too harsh, but this kind of reactive state to a very proactive state where you're very intentional and what you're beginning to do to create this financial freedom for yourself. Would you say that that is one of the big components of that shift going from reactive to proactive to being more intentional with the way that you approach your finances? Oh, 100%. Yeah, without a doubt. Because when you have a goal and when you have a plan, it's very easy to execute that plan. Okay, I want to be here. These are the steps. It sounds mechanical, but it's not. You could use that as an artist. Like it's just, it gives you like, like I, I believe in the quote, freedom is discipline. Mm. Like when I have no discipline, I might have all the freedom in the world, but I'm kind of fat and lazy. I'm kind of just whatever. But you need discipline to really create that space to do the work that you want to do. So yeah, I, I totally think being, um, being on top of it as opposed to reacting is, is was a key for us and continues to be and you never really quite get it you're always fine-tuning it but the more you can do it the better you get at it and the easier it gets now what would you say and, and maybe you can this is based both on your personal experience as well as the conversations that that you're having with entrepreneurs as you share your book and you have the opportunities to educate uh, entrepreneurs what would you say are the maybe the most harmful behaviors when it comes to managing finances that you, that you see entrepreneurs exhibiting can you speak to some of those yeah i think how we've learned how we've trained ourselves to to spend our money i think is is a huge part of it like you know i talked about like a car payment like the average car payment is $600 and that's become normal like when you say that nobody even flinches anymore yeah that's normal it's a car payment and when you think about what you can do for yourself and investing in yourself with that money. Like when I took that money and I put that into conferences, into coaching, into people that have done what I've already wanted to do, it just elevated everything. Like the endorsements that I have in my book from these big name New York Times authors, that came from investing in conferences to go to and meeting them in person as opposed to being online. Now I could have had a a nice car in the driveway, a nice whatever it would be, but I wouldn't have those relationships because I would have spent the money differently. I'm not sure if it's financial, but the people that we surround ourselves with yeah. is a big part of it. Like the whole Jim Rohn, you know, you're the average of the five people you spend time with. That was the big one for us because, you know, I love all my newspaper coworkers and they might be listening, but there was a problem where everybody was making the same low salary and was accepted. It was just normal. But when you get out of that and you see people making 10 times that and they're not evil people for doing it, they're actually helping a lot of people. It really realized, made me realize like there's not this ceiling that I thought was there. So the people that can push you to go there, um, that's a big one for me as well. So we constantly want to be like you don't want to be the smartest one in the room. You constantly want to be with people that are doing things that you want to get to. How do you meet those people? I mean, maybe that seems like a s- simple question and, and maybe there are obvious answers, but I mean, you talk about the, the the importance of going to conferences, for example, and having the opportunity to connect with people there. But you know, let's just say that, that one of our, uh, our listeners is saying, well, I, I live in a small town. I don't have the means right now to go to a conference. How do I connect with somebody who is smarter than me, who is maybe more driven than me and find inspiration in that relationship? How, what's the best way to connect with those kinds of people? Well, let's, let's take you, for example. Like you have this great podcast. People are listening. They're taking their time out. To, like, well, I might not be able to go to meet him in person, but I could tell you what you could do. 
you can go on the iTunes. You can leave a review. There's not even a plug. You weren't expecting this, but you can go to iTunes and go leave a review. You know, if, if you have a blog, you can leave a comment on there. You, if they have a product, you can support it. You can, you can put that out on social media. People notice, like I know who's left reviews for my book. You can't help but look, right? So I can tell you that person has left a review or has recommended me to somebody. They're going to probably get my attention quicker than somebody that doesn't or somebody that reaches out just asking for something. Like I always say, give first. Yeah, you add o- value. Yeah, the things that you want, the things that you want to get, do those for the other people that have helped you first. It's going to open doors so much quicker. And just be consistent. Go to these things. There, there are meetups in your town. There are so many things that you can do to start getting on the radar of these, of these people. And, you know, that, that's the endorsements. Like I, I invested in these people's, you know, Seth Godin, I went to his conference in New York. I spent the money. Pat Flynn, same thing. I, I bought his courses. I did. I trusted them. Dan Miller, I went to their conferences. I bought, I left the reviews. You do that enough over time, you'll be the one that's giving. Everybody else is looking to take and you'll stand out because it's genuine. But it has to be genuine. It can't be because they have a great audience. It has to be because you really trust the work that they do. I can't emphasize that enough. That's really, really good. Okay, so a couple of harmful behaviors. One, not being aware of how you're spending money. Maybe you're even aware of it, but you're not proactive enough in shifting um, or allocating those resources to activities, uh, conferences or otherwise, that will actually help you grow as an individual, as a business person, being more intentional in the way that you're spending money for the sake of your personal go- growth and ultimately your financial growth. And then, and then as you say, not spending time around the right people. Uh, it's, yeah. it's important that we surround ourselves with those who are uh, better than us, who are smarter than us, who are maybe more driven than we are to, to have the opportunity to not only find inspiration there, uh, but potentially even, I mean, in some cases, there are wonderful opportunities to even do business together, and that can lead to something else. Um, I, I think these are really good points to to consider for our listeners, but maybe let's make it a, even a little bit more practical. Are there some things that that our listeners can do, some steps maybe that they can take uh, that will result in some change in their current financial situation, or at least the mentality that they have surrounding their finances that will enable them, that will help them to be able to create this financial freedom that you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. What, what I've noticed more than anything is when you start talking about pe- talking to people about money that don't like talking about money, overwhelm comes in right away. It's like, I don't even know. I don't even know where my money goes. You know, I make all this money and then it doesn't even, I have nothing to show for. I got this debt. So as I was doing this and I would coach people, I talked to people about it. Like I came up with this acronym called FRUIT. And basically, it's basically your expenses. Uh, you know, you have your food. Like just figure out every month what it costs. Figure out what your food costs, your residence, which is your house, your, you is utilities, I is insurance, and then you have T, which is transportation and even taxes in there. And when you put that down, what happened every single time, and I even wrote about this in my book, was my clients would be like, I need to make 125 grand. So they, for instance, they've got this corporate job that they hate, but they make 125 grand, but they love photography, but they're only making you know 20 grand at photography or whatever it is. And so like, I'll never make 125 grand. So they get completely defeated and overwhelmed. When they did the fruit, they realized that that fruit turned out more like 60 grand instead of 120 grand. But they were just blowing that money on stuff that they didn't even, you know, $800 at Target, whatever it was. They were blow- They w- didn't even know where the money went. And when they realized, oh man, I really only need 60 to get by and I'm already making 20, all of a sudden the idea of going from this part-time overwhelming hobby 
to doing this full time where I can control my time and then double that. Because I can tell you when you quit your job and you put all your effort towards your business, you will make a lot more money and a lot less time working. Yeah. So that was a big thing. So once people started figuring out the fruit part of it, it was like, oh man, wait, it's not as overwhelming as I thought. You get rid of the overwhelm and then the energy comes in. It doesn't seem so daunting. And then you start raising your prices a little bit more and doing a couple less jobs, which frees up time. And then as you're, what we've, and I'm sure you know this too, the higher our prices went, the more serious people took us, the, the better the referrals were. Because when I have a $7,000 wedding, the referral from that's going to be probably a $7,000 referral. But when I did a $1,000 wedding, it's going to be a $1,000 referral. Generally, that would happen. The venues were better. The food was better that I would eat. Everything was better about it. It wasn't these, you know, rich snobby things like everybody talk. It wasn't like that at all. So we wound up making just as much money working a third of the time. So we freed up a lot of time. So with that time was time with our family or to do other things to increase our business and so on and so on. And that's how you create freedom with time and money in your life. But I, I love the point that you make about minimizing overwhelm through really what we're talking about is developing awareness. And, and I think of a tool actually that I began using years ago um, at mint.com and it's free. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those of you listening in, if you don't have a, a tool right now that you're using to, to look at your finances, to see how you're spending your money, whether on a, on a personal level or a business level, um, mint.com is a great place to start. And I, I don't get any benefit from sharing them. I, I think it's just a really great, powerful, easy to use uh, tool that enables you to be able to see where your money is going and, and developing this type of awareness like you were talking about, Vincent, which is I, this is the amount of money that I actually spend in a month for my necessities, the, the fruit acronym that you referred to. And once you're aware of how you're spending that money, now you need, now you know what you actually need to, to make. Not only that, you also have the opportunity to be able to get rid of those expenses that aren't absolutely necessary. Yep. And then the financial goals become a lot less overwhelming because of that awareness, but it starts with awareness and, and really it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to develop that awareness. But I think, and I was certainly guilty of it as, as a photography business owner before I started Photographer's Edit, my, probably my biggest weakness as a business owner at that point was not proactively managing my finances. And a lot of that had to do with a lack of awareness. We've got really great tools now in 2018, like Mint, like QuickBooks, for example, that we can take advantage of to develop a certain amount of awareness that will help minimize the overwhelm, that'll make doing things like managing taxes during tax time a lot easier as well. But ultimately, that awareness then will uh, will lead to a certain empowerment uh, which then will help lead to creating that financial freedom that that you're talking about. We're going to make sure to to link to your book uh, and certainly to your website. Uh, for those of you listening in, make sure that you go to uh, thefreelancetribe.com, just like it sounds. And we'll make sure the link to that that website, though, in the show notes, as well as to Vincent's book, Freelance to Freedom. This has been a really interesting conversation, Vincent, and I think a, a good teaser for the information that that uh, you'll share in your book as well. I really appreciate you making time to share with the book of podcast listeners today. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun, and uh, I just really appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Amy. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit 
custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. <laughs>